0: Hello and welcome to this episode of Game on Girl, the podcast where we talk about gender and game culture. I'm your host, Regina McMenemy.
1: And I'm your co-host, Rhonda Oglesby.
0: And today we're talking about female gender stereotypes. We're going to look at several examples coming from current pop culture and some media outlets that are talking about perceptions, really, about how women are perceived when they're in positions of power or different kinds of jobs.
1: First, Regina and I are going to exhibit some shameless fan emotes for an episode of Supernatural called LARP and the Real Girl.
0: Because, you know... Our favorite is on that show.
1: (laughs) Alicia! Come on our show, come on our show. I know, (laughs)
0: please, 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 please please come on our show. (laughs) We'll discuss what one electronic arts exec says is reality versus perception in the video game industry.
1: And we'll tie it all together with a look at an episode of Last Man Standing called Attractive Architect. That addresses the issue of female stereotypes.
0: So stay tuned, and we're glad you're listening to Game on Girl.
1: I'm a huge fan of the CW TV show, Supernatural. I've watched it from its very first episode. The network is really smart because it it doesn't target my demographic. But somehow, Supernatural has managed to maintain a level of self-awareness that makes it charming, smart, and Hilarious.
0: It comes as a really highly recommended show. I've, I've watched a handful of episodes, I, but I want to go back and watch it from the beginning so I get like the full experience of it. I know it's available on Netflix instant.
1: Yeah, yeah. And that's a great way to, to catch up on it. It's, it, and it, it the seasons really ebb, and you can see the progression of the fan base as it creeps into the show, too. Cool. Yeah. Well, Felicia Day first appeared on Supernatural in season seven, episode 20. The girl with the Dungeons and Dragons tattoo. In that episode, she played Charlie Bradbury, who was an IT hacking genius who unwittingly was working in the castle of the big boss. (laughs) I thought that was the end of day's appearance on Supernatural until she tweeted that she would be making an appearance in Season 8, Episode 11, LARP and the Real Girl. And I was just thrilled because I thought her character had so much potential.
0: Yeah, I watched, I haven't seen actually the the Dungeons & Dragons Tattoo episode. I saw several clips from it. I, I missed it when it was in my Hulu queue, so I'm unfortunately behind on that episode. But um, I had seen her the scene in that one where uh, she's trying to hit on a guy, and she doesn't know how to hit on a guy, and he's yeah. they're all at <laughs> the pointers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which I just thought was delightful. It was, you know, beautifully written and had a lot of uh, depth to it and, you know, just a short, you know, scene. So that was that was pretty awesome. Um, and, and I loved, like you said, her character came sort of just out of the gate as strong female character that, you know, that was at least for for, you know, those of us geek girls, um, uh, easily relatable. Too.
1: Yeah, and they they handled her really well. I mean, th- there's a lot of believability in the character. And granted, we're talking about a supernatural fantasy type show, right. but she is she knows that she is uh, she's extremely smart, and she has plenty of challenges at work, but that just does not fill her time. She's got all kinds of things she does on the side. She's very social. She is uh, not a wallflower. She's not in the basement. And um, also, <clears throat> I think it's important since we're talking about gender issues, that the reason that she did not know how to hit on a guy was not because she's a wallflower or an introvert, it's or a geek. Gay.
0: right? It's yeah, because she's gay. Yeah, she's yeah. gay,
1: and she doesn't yeah. know how to hit on a man yeah. and to appear interested. Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, but but anyway, she's she starts off tentative, but when she looks at things a little bit more as a challenge or as a little a little bit more of real world scenario mm-hmm. instead of just playing the superhero. She she gets up the nerve to do it. And I like that, that, you know, she has a bit of fear, but then she charges in and she puts puts her skills to use.
0: Mm.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: And you can see that kind of evolve um, as she's as she's going through it. She um, um the the way she sort of ad- adapts to her situation it, it's very gamer like <laughs> yeah. which I'm not sure is how they wrote it or or how she played it necessarily but 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 it is very gamer you know oriented
1: well I wouldn't be surprised if it were if it were part of the the theme or the method in which they wrote it because if you'll go back and watch um, the girl with the Dungeon and Dragon tattoo you'll notice that she's got great geek memorabilia in her cube and they don't concentrate on it they don't focus on it it is a natural background but there is an c-3po there's a wonder woman there are posters and as a geek i mean you will see these things out of the corner of your eye but it's not like here we're going to show her with this and and this shows that she's a geek it's just a natural setting it's extremely natural
0: yeah 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 and and that's that's good, you know, set decorating. That's good attention to detail, which are the things, in my humble opinion, that make all TV shows that are going to be like excellent or, you know, above average shows. It's, it's attention to detail that helps. But I think it's especially important in supernatural shows because your audience is more likely to be looking to poke holes in what you're doing. <laughs> Uh, excellent point. That's true. <laughs> so I think it, it really does help when you can create that air of authenticity with those kinds of set dressing details and environments.
1: Well, we're going to talk about the second appearance that Felicia Day had on the show, um, LARP and the Real Girl. And this shows another evolving of Felicia's character, who actually, when In the first um, episode, what did I say her name was? um, Charlie Charlie. Bradbury. Mm -hmm. We find out that's not her real name. And in the uh, next episode, she's changed her name again. But she still has yet to reveal what her real name is. And I think it's funny because she changed her name to Carrie Heinlein this time. And that was really cute. They throw these things in all the time. (laughs) But... The, the thing that I was curious about, we we knew from the title that it was going to be handling LARPing. And I, if there's probably any part of geek culture that gets the biggest amount of flack. The, the biggest amount of flack or, or even to
0: a level of marginal, marginalization, you know, sort of like, oh, wow, I don't do that.
1: Yeah. And so I was going to be curious to see how I, they handled it because consistently they've been extremely respectful and actually sort of winking at the fans throughout the entire show. That's part of why I love it. One of the first sets of dialogues that that they have, the, the stars of the show, Sam and Dean, they always are posing as uh, sheriffs, more often than not FBI agents, and they're interviewing a law who was uh, best friends with the guy who was murdered. And so he's their first interview, and... He's very upset, and he's describing their LARPing, and Sam and Dean, this is all new to them. And the uh, LARPer, his name is Lance, basically says, well, what happened is I challenged him to a duel, wands and swords at dawn. And, of course, there there you get the typical look across the face, the smirking, and and Dean says, you know, uh, so now uh, when you say wands, do you mean magic wands? And almost holding back a snicker. And what is great then is the line they wrote for Lance coming back. No, Non magic wands agent because what we really want to duel with is un magic wands. <laughs> yes, they're fake wands. It's a game. <laughs> it was it was perfect because the yeah. guy knew he, he knew the difference between entertainment and reality, right? And he knew the perception. And they wrote that into the to the guy's script. It was yeah. it was just very really nice.
0: Yeah, it just went sort of straight straight at it, like you know. Um, part of I guess the reason for I don't want to stick my foot in my mouth with this either. But part of the reason I think for the marginalization of LARPing is that people take it to an extreme or take it too seriously or get too involved in it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And they just sort of took that idea and just threw it right back in you know, right back in the faces of the people with the perceptions of of that or, or that that, you know, oh, it's just a game. One he says it's just a game, you know, they're make believe.
1: Yeah. <laughs> oh, just... we're well aware of that. Yeah. And yeah. you know. Um, they do a lot of fan call outs through this particular episode. And actually the majority of the of the show is on location at the LARP. It happens on uh, every weekend, I believe, at a park, and that's where they go to investigate. And there's just a wonderful set of things that goes on that is respectful to the LARPers. Um, One is you begin to find out what some of the careers are of the LARPers. There's an insurance claims adjuster. Of course, there's an IT tech. There's an attorney. So we're not talking about the guy that works at the cell phone warehouse or you know, right. subway shop or, or whatever. Right. Um, or, or
0: hits that stereotype of living in his mom's basement kind of deal thing.
1: Yeah. Th- these are accomplished career people. Right. And they all, they all range around a, a certain age group, but that goes back to the demographic of the show anyway. Right. Everyone at the gaming location looks extremely normal. They're a variety of beautiful women and average, normal guys, heavyset guys, bearded guys, I mean, just a variety of very normal people. I mean, it looked like a renaissance fair.
0: It did look like a renaissance fair. And the, the way the tents were organized and the clothing that people were wearing was very reminiscent of what you'd see at a, at a renaissance fair, which is a good approach to take, you know, knowing that their audience is probably split between, you know, super, you know, geek culture and and I don't want to say, you know, norms or muggles or whatever, but <laughs> yeah. the the type of people who might have attended a renaissance fair or something like that at, at some point in time.
1: Now, d- have you ever played Dragon Age
0: I have played Dragon Age yes
1: okay well apparently I believe that Felicia tweeted that people who had played Dragon Age there was an Easter egg in the show for them
0: yeah I think it it was when you're gonna have to help me with the names of uh, Dean and Dean and Sam so uh-huh. it's Dean it's Dean who gets assigned to help um, Charlie's character right in her yes. investigation and then Sam goes off on his own to the Tent tech, of the tent. future, you know, right, yeah. the, the tech tent where, be careful, you're crossing into a time portal into the future, where the computers are set up. And when he walks in, I believe someone is playing not just Dragon Age, but Felicia's, the the type of character Felicia did in her Web series based on Dragon Age. Oh, okay. Age. So, okay. It, I, If it wasn't exactly that, it was it was right. It was a really quick, you know, shot. But it, it was right along there. Her Talos was that character's name.
1: Okay. So I'll there, have to pay more yeah. attention because I've never played Dragon Age. Yeah. But if it's reminiscent back to um, uh, the guild, then I might be able to recognize yeah. it. Yeah. But other other nice callouts. I mean. Through I don't, how many seasons is this seven or eight of Supernatural? Yeah. I don't know how many places they've shown up with fake badges and just walked in to get, you know, government records and doctor's uh, documents and all kinds of things. And they walk up to these LARPers and they flash these badges and they're they're official and we need to ask some questions. And the LARPer immediately says... Um, we're we're not cro- mashing up stories this week. Yeah, we're,
0: there's no meta gaming or no yeah, there's no cross gaming or whatever
1: they had a word for it. Damn it. <laughs> yeah, it was a mat. It was a mashup or something. Yeah. The the guy was like, he knew exactly what. FBI badges were supposed to look like. <laughs> I love how
0: he, he just details everything that's wrong. Yes. The serial numbers are not the right size. They're, you know, it's not heavy enough. It's not the right color. It's not the right this. And I mean, he just lists off all these problems with it. It's hilarious.
1: I love I I, I just loved it. I mean, it... They were on a different playing field. Yeah. And it's really easy to stand outside that playing field and to point fingers and to make fun of things. But once you got onto that playing field, then you've you've got to play with the players. Right. Exactly. And
0: I I love the respect that that shows for LARPers and LARPing. Um, and and in case we didn't say because I know sometimes we run over terms and we don't always catch the fact that we're using terms that oh, people yeah. don't know. LARP is live action role play. So live action role play, L A R P. LARP. LARP. Um, yeah. So these Sorry are about that. Who, yeah who are acting out um, you know scenarios and and uh, eras and different you know different things. And so um, that was a way I thought that they did a great. They showed a great deal of respect to. The LARPing community, where they could have made a big deal about that, made a big stink about it in a way where he was sort of looking down on them. Um, but he wasn't because he seriously just thought they were LARPers. And he's like, well, you know, you got these wrong. It shows the, it shows the level of detail f- to research, which I think is, a, you know, is a great way to... In, you know, when I talk about in my composition, my creative writing class is show, not tell. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to show the proficiency that most LARPing communities do have with the accuracy of portrayal that they're going for.
1: And there's one more scene that I liked quite a bit that showed a little bit of the show's respect to the LARPers. And that is when Sam does go into the tech tent. Mm-hmm. They, he needs, they do a lot of their research Online And he wants to start doing some research and they're like, well, you're you're not in Kansas anymore. We don't have tech here except over at the tech tent. Mm -hmm. So he goes in there and there are people in there playing games and doing research and different things. And Sam sits down to do some research. And the LARPer sitting next to him is a beautiful blonde girl and is very fascinated with what he's doing and thinks he's doing this mashup game. Right. With crossing the FBI with the. the cross uh, genres. Yes, the mm-hmm. cross genres. And so there, she, she begins to help him do research on the people who have been hurt on the um, the LARPer group. And when it's over with, he thanks her and she invites him back to her tent <laughs> which was a very understandable thing she's very attractive and he sort of thumbs his nose up at her yeah he
0: he totally blows her off which i wasn't sure from from the, the previously on it seemed like there was um it looks like i said i won't be very upfront with the fact i'm not i'm not familiar with the overarching story for the show but i'm i got the sense that there was a, a romance that has recently ended for the character of sam and so i wasn't sure if he was thumbing his nose at her or turning her uh, you know away because of who she was as much as he was still sort of burdened and and hurt by the relationship he had just come out of so i I wasn't really 100 percent sure what was going on there
1: yeah well you know what you're probably right The the show tends to take it's it's pretty funny season to season one of the one of the brothers, either Sam or Dean is in a happy place or a sad place.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And they sort of swap roles back and forth with each other. Yeah.
1: And, and, and one is usually a heel and the other one is, is like, Oh, come on, what can I do to make you happy kind of thing. And, and, this is kind of the season where sam, uh dean is more of the happy go lucky one which is very rare mm-hmm. and uh sam is pretty intense so you actually may be you may be onto something there so yeah that's
0: i kind of got the ju- just from what i had seen the Because he doesn't, like, look at her in a dismissive way. He looks at her with a a level of melancholy that I didn't really perceive as being about who she was. But like I said, who she wasn't, that she wasn't really the one he wanted to be with. So that was my interpretation.
1: We haven't talked about Felicia at all. But when when we, we talk about her character in the show, we can branch out a little bit more with um how they handle some of the gender issues and they are they are always pretty even handed about that too which is always is pretty nice um again they still deal with a particular demographic um they always have about the same age group very attractive uh women but you don't get overly boobtastic stuff overtly um too sexual and that's always kind of nice mm-hmm. and the, Got mothers you have single moms you've got very powerful women you've got demons blah 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 so it's really it's really good the way the they introduce women characters um felicia at this point has tried to disappear again right uh, she is uh no longer the uh charlie bradbury and she is now uh carrie heinlein she's trying to disappear so that she doesn't have to encounter the supernatural again because you know she succeeded but that was enough and here she is. She runs right into the same guys again, and she's thrown right into the supernatural world again. hmm And she is the queen of this LARPing community. Right. And the opening scene that she gets introduced in, she is, unknowingly, we don't know, the audience doesn't know, she's in full night gear, and she's fighting with another knight and she wins
0: right yeah it's a it's, uh, the challenge to the queen or, or part of the challenge to the queen to test the ability i think of her queen's guard right she's she's yeah. sort of auditioning for people to be her protectors
1: yeah and that's that's pretty cool she yeah. uh, ends up playing uh the, she's got the uh larping uh board game set up in her tent and her and dean spend a little bit of time going back and forth about strategies which mm-hmm. is a really A really wonderful scene because he makes some suggestions and she's like oh yeah that's really good and they they start getting into it which is really funny
0: yeah they kind of get off off track for for the case and what they're actually supposed to be doing which is which is a really fun sort of acknowledgement of of how tempting you know talking those strategies and planning these kinds of things out can be i love tv shows that handle uh respectfully handle smart women and yeah, I, I thought this was an excellent portrayal of, um, and an excellent use of uh, Day's character as as a smart woman. You know, it, it was very clear that she had, you know, she had put herself in this community and she had moved up the ranks and she would gotten to the place of queen. And you know, they at one point suggest to her that for her safety. Um, she should leave, that she needs to get out of there because somebody has obviously gone sort of over the edge with, you know, black magic and is coming for her. And um, and then that wraps up at the end, and I will warn that there we will have a couple spoilers here for anybody who hasn't seen the episode. Um, that wraps up at the end with sort of the big fight against the mage who's been, you know, controlling this fairy, like a real-life fairy that he's brought back who's doing all of these awful things to these people. Um, And I can't remember, I didn't write the line down now, I'm so mad at myself, um, where she says, um, "I'm, I'm no damsel to be saved or something along those lines. Uh, I, I saved the damsels in this story. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> that's what it was. Yeah. I saved the, the damsels in this story. And I love I love the turnabout of that. I love the hearkening back to Tolkien and to Eowyn. Um, yeah. I, I think that's a really nice uh, sort of a call out to, to that tradition of women who do stand up for and fight for not just their honor, but of everyone around them as well. So that was, I love that part of the portrayal. See here, this is Regina Gushing as a fangirl. That was really beautiful beautiful for her.
1: <laughs> well, and it was it was extremely brave and confident of the show to do that mm-hmm. because Sam and Dean always come in and win the battle. Right. Right. They always come in at the end and and save everybody. And they basically let Felicia Day's character do that. Right, exactly. And she's like, "You know, I'm safe. I'm the one who's saving the damsel in distress." Yes, exactly. And it was it was really great. I yeah. mean, it was wonderful scene there was absolutely took nothing away from sam and dean at all
0: no and And, that was that was really nicely done too that it and that's one of the reasons why i what one of the big themes i took away from it was how respectful they are of the groups that they're dealing with of the subcultures that they're representing and that's really nice because it's really easy to you know take to call out a subculture and put them in a big show like this and just make mm-hmm. fun of them and and they yes. didn't do that and and that was really good and I know that I have friends in the LARPing community and one of them posted on Facebook shortly after this aired that he really felt like it was a respe- respectful portrayal and that oh, he good. really appreciated what they had how they had portrayed the, the community and that was really heartening for me to hear because I, like I said I'm always sort of on on the you know social so, social justice warrior wanting to make sure people are fairly represented so I was glad to hear that too
1: yeah and it's not the first time that they've they've picked out a culture they have dealt with comic book writers with fan fiction writers they've done uh cons they uh, they've handled several different uh type of geeky groups and it's always been kind of the same thing at the they may have gone in a little snickering at the beginning but in Mm -hmm. the end they've gained a level of respect about what's going on yeah yeah absolutely that's good. Well, up next we're going to talk about uh, female gaming industry and what an exec has to say about sexism in the workplace. Yeah.
0: A recent article on the market for computer and video games, mcvuk.com, featured the title EA exec says perceptions of sexism in the games biz are a cop-out. Industry exec Gabrielle Toledano talked about what it's been like for her to be a female exec in the games industry. And one of the things she focused on in this was that the sexism wasn't as bad as it had been in other industries that she had worked in, and also not as bad as it had been made out in media portrayals. It was a really sort of thought-provoking and interesting article to, to read and sort of get her perspectives about.
1: Yeah, it's kind of hard to argue with somebody who's actually there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it kind of puts you in a different place. <laughs> and it was really good to, to hear her thoughts, because pretty much all you've got is what the perception, right? And the other thing, I am chasing a rabbit here. This is unusual, but I was I was just watching a show today where uh, some uh, journalists were talking about a news item and trying to decide whether it was sexist or not. Mm-hmm. And I noticed that in situations where there are strong women discussing the issue, and they say, "Look, this is." They're taking it out of context. They're uh, blowing it. It's melodramatic, making a mountain out of a mm-hmm. mohill. This is not a sexist thing. And the guys at the table are like, well, I don't know. I think I'd argue with you. And there's like this thing where the guys, I don't know, like it's a trend for the guys to call sexism. It's like, no, <laughs> we're telling you this. this is not the issue here. And so it's good to hear from a woman in what is considered, like she says, a a male-dominated industry to comment herself on on how she feels about this. And I pulled one quote out of the article that I felt like that was kind of the main point she was trying to make, and I thought we could talk from there. Mm -hmm. Toledano says, The issue I have is that the video game industry is being painted as more sexist than any other male-dominated workforces. I know sexism exists, but the issue isn't just in video games. And it's not what's holding us back.
0: Yeah, I, th- I, I would agree that that's that's sort of the main point, Al- although I'm glad to have her perspective on this. I, I, I think her her analysis falls a little short, <laughs> in my opinion. It's true. You know, maybe that maybe the game industry and I can't say because I'm not a member of the game industry um, and I don't have any personal experience with it isn't as bad as the media has portrayed it to be. That's fine. But but really, the issue is that gender stereotypes are limiting women from getting the kind of degrees that would put them in the game industry. And, yeah, and she brings that up later. She, she does bring that up later. And she does say that. But that really needs to be the, the point of, of issue here is that. Women are still not sort of encouraged into these fields and are questioned when they're interested in it and have you know you have stories like that and I've heard from other other people in in male dominated industries that have had the same kinds of issues that they've run up against as well. So um, that that's really kind of I guess what we what we need to address larger social issues.
1: Yeah, I mean, because it's not the gaming industry's fault that women are not going into these fields, because it starts way sooner than this.
0: Oh, absolutely. I actually worked with a woman at IBM, you know, 10 years ago when I was um, uh, working at the research headquarters, and we put together a camp for middle school aged girls to come to IBM to find out and they spend a week on you know sort of the campus of the research headquarters um exploring options for careers and different things that they were going to do and putting together a potential project that maybe they'd all want to, you know, participate in. They were all students that had science and math, you know, high science and mm. math scores and interest in science and math. And a lot of the research at that time, and I'm sure it still does, shows that you need to get to to girls before high school to introduce them to these options and to, you know, sit there and say these are the kinds of things that you want to do. And it was a great outreach program because it partnered like six girls with a female scientist. So we had a bunch of the female scientists from IBM participating in the groups. And it was really great because at the end of the week, they had put together presentations that they did in our theater for their parents and all these great things. And it was just really, you could see the spark of interest just blossom. Like, one of the activities that they got to do during the week was to take like old laptops and tear them apart. <gasps> Ooh, cool. <laughs> and they were all, I mean, it got really messy, and a couple of them got kind of dangerous. But um, <laughs> it was,
1: yeah, but, you
0: it, know, exploration was really fantastic. And to see that sort of light up in their in their faces, and to see the impact that it had on them. And that was that was a really sort of memorable thing for me to be able to participate in while I was there. So you know, we do need to do things like that. I don't know if they if they continued with it, because I ended up leaving, I think the year after I had done it, I think I'd only been there another six months after I had participated in it. But um, I don't know if they continued with it. I hope they did. But I'm not I'm not sure if they did. Because those are the kinds of things that especially if you know, companies like IBM can support, it would be a really great way of getting women into, you know, younger women into these fields.
1: Well, I guess that's just the The endless and infinite question, though, as to where the stereotyping begins, who begins it, who's responsible for it. And and, I mean, in in general, I mean, you'd say everyone Mm -hmm. because it it sometimes it takes that one comment, either the positive comment or that one negative comment to set the path of someone. Yeah. And that could be, you know, uh a a mentor at school. It could be someone in your church. It could be a stranger in, uh, at a wedding or, you know, anything.
0: Yeah. And
1: and I think that's part of the reason why the parenting is so important because if you prepare your, if you prepare as much as you can ahead of time that to make your child uh, a thinker, and to give them uh, methods for making decisions and solving problems, facing challenges, and basically being unbiased themselves. Right.
0: Oh, watching your perceptions. You know, it, it's really yeah. easy for all of us to kind of fall into this. This is what I think this person should do, so that's what they should be doing. Kind of yes. mentality. You know, it, it really, it really is uh, uh, something to keep in mind no, no matter who you're talking to or who you're engaging with because there's all kinds of things that can come out of that.
1: And I think kids are really great at reflecting back on us the, the prejudices and the bias, the assumptions that we make and the stereotypes that we make that we don't even know that we're doing.
0: Mm-hmm, exactly. And
1: it's, it's good to constantly be open-minded and to, and to reevaluate. I, I love the idea of how I'm constantly learning. I'm constantly being open to other ideas. And I, I want to explore all of that and think about all the possibilities. And, um, I don't know where the stereotypes come from. I just, I know at the age and the, the, the decade that I grew up in, I thought my purpose was to stand in a kitchen and make sure there was a hot meal on the table at six o'clock when he got home. Right. I mean, that yeah. was, I thought was important. Yeah. And it's... everything about me fought against that because I, very early on I decided I'm never getting married (laughs) (laughs) if that's if that's the
0: role if that's what it is I'm not doing it
1: (laughs) and and the the idea was not just not to do it but to make sure I ran away from it I was going to be to do something very yeah yeah I understand but and and Toledano is right that the sexism is is an so many of the industries, I've worked in retail, I've worked in government contracting, IT work, the food industry, it's everywhere. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't matter. Because humans are humans, and the stereotypes, they they go outside of of genre. Right.
0: Well, if we think back to some of what Sandy shared with us about the evolution of female and male stereotypes, you know, coming off of or coming from the need to have one person at home taking care of the family and one person out, you know, hunting and and getting, you know, the food to support the family. You know, we, we go back to that. And 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 you know that that was the way the world worked it's world worked. And they've just lingered <laughs> and, and they will yeah. linger. I mean there's, you know, there are biological differences between men and women. It's just when your perceptions go sort of to this this is not something that you can do because you're a girl, or this isn't something yeah. that you should like because you're a boy. Either way, they're they're limiting to to anybody. And so just just really sort of breaking through those ideas. And it's a slow process, and you know, it's funny because I have a lot of students, a lot of young female students who want to tell me that sexism isn't out there anymore. <laughs> I know, like, oh well, it's so much better for us now. And I'm like, you know, I, I appreciate, you know, the stars in your eyes and the sort of, you know. <laughs> well, and it is better. It is better. I mean, yeah. but... <laughs> but it's not that sexism say. doesn't exist. <laughs> no,
1: no, 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 no. That's not going, not going a little
0: farther. But, but this is how they're, they're sort of coming out. And it's, this is what I, would, what I would categorize as kind of the backlash of, you know, third wave feminism or, or whatever you want to call the movements of feminism. Because I know people have, you know, problems with all the terminologies or whatnot. But that idea that women can be feminine and a feminist is, is essentially what the third wave was about. You can wear makeup and you can wear high heels and you can still be a feminist. And I wholeheartedly agree with that as a woman who wears makeup and occasionally wears high heels. Um, however, because I can do that and I can have the kind of job that I have and I, can, I have opportunities open to me doesn't mean that sexism has gone away. <laughs> the fact that we still make 70 cents on a dollar to, to the men in, you know, same industry with same qualifications is cold hard proof of that
1: well and I don't know what kind of time frame she was thinking about but I mean it was less than five years ago I was working at a company where the president asked me to hire him an assistant that was young attractive and not fat
0: (laughs) Well she's you know I, I this was and know this is more than one you know I'm not talking about one singular stu- Oh yeah I'm talking about multiple students that I've had in the last you know six or seven years who have come into my classrooms and they're like, well sexism isn't an issue for me and I'm like really <laughs> <Is> that's so <laughs> So, you know, they're and they're young and, you know, 18, you know, to 18 to 20 year olds. It's a it's an interesting um, perspective that they tend to have on the world. So <laughs> but, you know, that's why we try to ground them. And maybe you should consider this.
1: <laughs> well, it was an interesting article and it actually segues really well into the last television show that we're going to talk about. Last Man Standing. So yeah. Stay,
0: t- stay tuned for for more discussion of gender stereotypes <coughs> in pop culture. <coughs>
1: Well, Regina, I'm also a big fan of the fairly new show, Last Man Standing, starring Tim Allen. It's only in its second season, but I just really love it. And what I've been noticing lately that I find interesting, if, if anybody wants to just experiment, especially if they um, were fans or they remember All in the Family, to me, it looks like a modern version of that show. And it, when I look at it like that, it's just its very, very smart. And I think they've modernized it very well. Tim Allen plays Mike Baxter, who, again, is a man's man. He has a very highly educated and attractive wife and three daughters. We're going to talk about the episode in season two, episode nine, called Attractive Architect where they address how women's looks affect how they are perceived. Did you get a chance to watch the episode? I did.
0: I watched it. I watched it today before we were recording, so.
1: Oh, well, yeah. I'm not going to say anything then. Tell me what you thought.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I I really enjoyed it. Um I I didn't I didn't know anything about it before you sort of brought it to my attention for for this episode and with this particular issue in mind. So, I haven't seen any other episodes and I haven't been following it. Um but I loved um, um, I, I really loved some of the um, the structure of the show, uh, him as kind of the gruff dad, you know, surrounded, like you said, surrounded by all the girls and his wife and, and, and sort of how that sets him off kilter a little bit. Mm hmm. But he's sort sort of that roll with it kind of guy, so he kind of gets knocked over. He's kind of the um you know the clown that you could punch and he bops back up. Yeah, he, that's yeah. the kind of character he he reminded me of, which I which was kind of delightful. And in this episode, um they actually have Al from Tool Time has a small part in this, which was really funny for me because I was totally not expecting that, and all of a sudden I'm like oh my god, what am I watching the same show again? So um it was really interesting though, and I really liked um I want to stop saying interesting because I say interesting too much. Now you've you've caught on to that from me but (laughs) the plot lines were woven together beautifully and and that i i'm always on the lookout for writing that sort of uh stands out for for being able to handle multiple plot lines and intersections of of ideas and and themes that come together really well and i thought they did a beautiful job with that in this episode
1: yeah and You know, every episode that I've watched tends to deal with current cultural topics like that. They've Mm -hmm. dealt, they've talked about politics, they've talked about gender issues, they've talked about the environment, and they still be, they're they're always able to maintain that type of storyline, multiple levels, multiple viewpoints, and I think that's the reason why I'm now looking at it kind of with different eyes, Mm. remembering all in the family that, they are just really smart writing because it's straightforward and simple, right?
0: But 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 deep at the same time, and yeah, that's, and what what I loved about it, and so so the the three basic plot lines are um, our main character Mike uh, needs to hire an architect for a job, and a beautiful young female architect is bidding on it. And he immediately wants to dismiss her because he thinks the only reason she's in the running is because his boss, you know, wants to work with a beautiful woman.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and he, he even comes out and says that, you know she's too beautiful to actually have done the work.
0: Right. It's it's clearly got to be a man's work at her firm. They just send the attractive woman out to get the bids. Yeah. yeah. Which if you want to talk about like the height of sexism that a comment like that is is right along the lines of that. And then the, the oldest daughter Mandy um, is forced to go to high school without any makeup because her younger sister takes and hides it all from her, which I have to say, I, d- I didn't have like siblings like that growing up, but that storyline just kind of was delightful to me.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, it was fantastic. <laughs>
0: the play and then, then sort of how that, that story evolved. And then Vanessa was the the character, of course, that I was sort of like, oh, she's got a PhD, interesting. <laughs> and she gets a promotion and she thinks it might be because, because of her looks. And so the three different you know strong female characters in the show all dealing with um different aspects of sexism
1: yeah and it's it's interesting you i mean when you talk about the the topics and the dramatic statement like you like we just said where uh mike says well you know she's too beautiful to have actually done that work Mm -hmm. i mean that's a that's them there's fighting words kind of you know and it's hard to Think that a Tim Allen show, a comedy, lightheartedly handle, and they don't handle it lightheartedly. I mean, that's why it's, a, it, to me, it's such a paradox to talk about it. Because the show handles it so well, and it's heavy material. It is.
0: It is really heavy material. It is. It's kind of, in, in my mind, it's the best way to deal with, um, with sexism, honestly. It's got enough humor in it and enough lightheartedness, but it doesn't dismiss the topics. No. So you can still take the message away from it, but you don't feel like somebody's standing up on the TV screen preaching at you about what you should be doing and what you should be saying and how you should be doing everything. And that's really a very effective way to kind of go about teaching.
1: And they also say the things that you think they're not going to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When when they get ready to make an argument about something, the... the Either side will say the thing that you're that you're thinking, either what is the typical argument that you hear in pop culture mm-hmm. or what you're thinking that they're not going to say. Right. And they bring that all out and throw it on the table. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I, yeah. That, that was a beautiful part of it. My favorite moment of that was when Vanessa is talking about Mandy's experience with not wearing makeup. And, yeah. and how she was treated differently and perceived differently by everybody, good or bad. But, yeah. but it was she was perceived differently because she wasn't wearing makeup at school that day. And I think that's a really interesting and really thought-provoking concept to, to just kind of run with. Because we tend to want to overlook a lot of the social construction of gender, you know, but it's still there. And that's that's proof positive. And Vanessa's trying to say to, you know, to Mike, you know, here, well, that proves my point better than anything I could have ever said. And he's like, um, what are you saying? You know? <laughs>
1: That's usually what Mike ends up doing at the end of the show. He ends up going, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh no, what
0: trouble have I got myself into? Yeah, here? you know, and but but it is true. and And we don't often think about the differences in how we're perceived because of how we dress or, you know, what we wear. And, you know, I will go on record and very strongly say I'm a feminist who wears makeup and nice clothes and I know the difference between when I go to the grocery store and I have thrown on whatever clothes were you know on the semi-clean pile of clothes on my dresser and I've rolled out and I just have my hair up in a ponytail and I haven't done my makeup or anything I I feel the difference you see the difference uh-huh. in the way perce- people perceive you at the check stand you know in the way the way people help you and that you know I'm sure the same things go for men as to when they you know attend to their hair or their face Hair, Whatever it is that they're, you know, put clean clothes on. When I go to the store after having been on campus teaching and I'm in sort of my professor clothes, much more likely to get help, much more likely to have the the checker chat me up. You know, th- th- that's just how it works. It's like, oh, you look nice. Let me talk to you.
1: Well, the, you know, the, the sexism there or the stereotyping there goes multiple ways. Mm-hmm. And that that to me is what makes the argument not a single layer. It makes it extremely complex because for the longest time, I thought being a woman was dangerous. I thought being attractive was dangerous or it, that it was Um, my only power, but it was a dangerous power. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it can go both ways. I can either, I can either not wear makeup because I'm a feminist and, you know, I don't have to wear makeup. Right. But at the same time, I was thinking I'm afraid to be too attractive because it's dangerous to be a woman. Right. Right. And that's safe. And and that's just
0: that makes my heart sad (laughs) it really does because you know there's a lot of talk right now about rape culture and you know a lot of stuff that's going on in in congress and a lot of you know politicians who are saying a lot of really stupid things about female bodies and and really really nobody should ever be raised in an environment where you think because you're attractive and you're a woman you're in a dangerous position but We've all felt that, and we've all had those moments where we're like, "You know what is this? Where am I? how am I you know how is this gonna happen? Yeah. you know whatever it's being on the street, I remember being in new york and having to stop and ask somebody for directions because i was totally lost in the days before gps i had no idea where i was going and was trying to find an office and i was terrified to stop and ask somebody because i'm like what's going to happen if they find out that i'm walking here on the street by myself and yeah no you know what's going to happen to me and i I remember that moment i remember thinking this is really stupid and i hate that i feel this way
1: yeah the the feeling of of weakness the feeling of you are automatically at a disadvantage right
0: and and it's just it's just sad so so if we want to start with you know if we want to link this story to to the story about women in the game industry and to you know the story about um uh felicia day's character in in supernatural really we we have some really strong women characters and real women, real life women in positions where they are pushing and challenging those boundaries and making us think and making us consider all of the ways that we we perceive everyone, men on men and women. And so if we take the time to get to know people and to sort of step back from those perceptions and keep our perceptions in check, we really, we can be the start of the change of the world.
1: <laughs> yeah. The, those, those women are to me, exceptionally beautiful mm-hmm. and they're exceptionally courageous. And the, a lot of times the, the ones that have gone ahead and stood they've stood alone Mm -hmm. absolutely and that you know interests me even more when we talk when we get ready to talk about this year we're gonna bring up again about the girl-on-girl hate yeah it's like with with all that we're struggling with with the 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 difficulty it is for us to make inroads as it is, right, and being in a position of weakness and having to battle twice as hard. Um, why would we battle each other?
0: Right, exactly. You know? Why do Why do we have these fights that we end up picking as well? So, be nice to each other, everybody. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Br- bring Bring a younger girl along. Yeah, exactly. Her, t- show teach her a computer game and uh, right. and show her some some great art and music and gaming and and give her give her wings (laughs) yeah yeah pass on the empowerment well it's been a great topic and we've we barely scratched the surface but i love the way these three different things came together today if you guys want to give us any feedback we love to hear it we always love to hear um, what sources that you've had or things that you've heard or seen Um, please share the tv shows and the articles and uh websites that you like uh we love getting that type of information and that resource i just keep adding it to my blog lines you've been listening to game on girl i'm the co-host rhonda oglesby you can follow me on twitter at Rowroom. that's r-h-o-r-h-o-o-m you can read my tech blog at jewelonthefrog.com or email rhonda at GameOnGirl.com.
0: And I'm your host, Regina McMenemy, or Doc Liz, with two Zs. And I'd just like to take a moment and acknowledge that this is our one-year anniversary. For Game of yay! yay. Shedding so. tear. <laughs> One year ago, we launched our first episode, and We did. Uh, you I lost. did. Yeah, <laughs> I launched yep. my first solo episode um, to start the show and to start us off in our series here. And uh, on episode forty-nine, so we managed to do an episode a week <laughs> for all but two weeks of the year, three weeks for the year. So I think we yeah. did pretty well for our first year. I'm so thankful for the community that we see evolving from the show and and all the opportunities that are F- uh, unfolding for us, including, you know, PAX East and Dragon Con this year, and many other times to hopefully get together and interact with some of our listeners. So, thank you guys for being yeah. awesome.
1: <laughs> kisses, kisses.
0: <laughs> Game on girls! now part of the Radio FUBAR Network at radiofoobar.com. We're also available on iTunes and Stitcher streaming. These links, along with references made in the show, can be found on the website, gameongirl.com. This podcast is edited by Ryan Broom of the desert tree media and the theme song good day by triple fox is used under a creative commons attribution license thanks so much for listening especially if you've been listening for a year (laughs) and until next time game on